Have you seen all these news articles about spies getting caught, espionage getting discovered? A lot of it in the U.S. is from China, but it's happening all over the world. Why are they targeting colleges? Is that new? Why are we just hearing about it now? Is this an increase in activity or why is it even being released in the first place? Aren't they caught by counterintelligence and other spies? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Why is all this in the news? Why are the stories getting out? Who's doing it and why? What the differences are? And a couple of stories about things that have happened in the past. Right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. First, let's understand what espionage is. It's a similar definition in almost every modern country, if not all countries. Some don't have a word that translates to espionage and they use spy. For our purposes, spy is the person, espionage is the operation, spying is the act of committing the operation known as espionage. I always encourage people to take an important word like espionage when it comes to discussions like this, type it into your Google followed by three letters, USC, which means United States Code, and you should get links to United States Code where you can look up the definitions of these terms. The first mistake people usually make when it comes to things like espionage, interrogation, torture, war, words like this, is they take what they believe to be true or what the dictionary says as the overall definition of what the word means and how the law works, which isn't accurate at all. You'll often find, especially with words like espionage, that the definition far exceeds what you may think and beyond what you could even comprehend or come up with just using the dictionary. The short summary is ending the first couple sentences of the definition, which is anything that can be used with the intention of injuring the United States or to the advantage of another nation. Now, after that, they put in just about every possible way that could happen, but it really encompasses any information at all that's given to a foreign country, whether you intend for them to do harm or know what you're doing, that can count as espionage. The other thing is, if you ask yourself or ask somebody, What kind of stuff, what kind of information do spies want from us or do we want to get from other people? We tend to focus only on a small area, typically defense information or classified information. This is because movies and the media have taught us that this is in fact what they're looking for. While everybody wants that information from the other guy, even their own allies, it is far more than that. That type of information, which is a very long exhaustive list is only a part of the overall information that nations want from other nations. If you just look at part of the definition that says could be used to the advantage of the other nation, think about the news right now. The biggest subject is coronavirus. I guarantee you there are nations spying on other nations looking for specific information around this subject, such as how much medical response do they have? What's their medical infrastructure? Where are they putting up quarantine centers? How are they treating this? How is it affecting their economy? How is it affecting the local economies? How is it affecting manpower inside these medical facilities that are going to be treating or assisting people that are positive or under observation for that virus? Where are they getting medical supplies from? How are they paying for that? What monetary fund are they using? How are they transmitting those payments? Who's working with what other nation? Because of the nature of this, they're going to look at organizations like FEMA, the CDC, find out where they're getting equipment from. They will do anything to get information like that to see how we're going to react to it, as well as us looking at other nations, how they're going to react. 
Another thing movies teach us that a situation like this, we think that it's going to be like a movie where the spy out in the field is told, hey, this new thing has popped up, go get intel on it. While that is possible and has actually happened in some situations, they're typically not things you hear about. More than likely, it went down this way. Using our own collectors, collectors being a term for people that are collecting intelligence, we have collectors in China. Just like a whole bunch of other people have collectors in China. Just like a whole bunch of other people have collectors here. More often than not, it's very typical that the collector on the ground is the first person or one of the first people to receive new information about something that's happening, like the outbreak of a virus. Then that collector targets that information by going to where they're getting it from or just seeking out people in general. They write up a report of their findings, which goes to the agency or organization they're working for, which then gets distributed across the rest of the community, which helps analysts and decision makers decide what information they need more specifics on in order to find out how is this developing and what's happening with it. So this happens with more than just warfare, more than with just the military does. It happens with world trade. It happens with resources. It happens in the medical world. It happens in the corporate world. Businesses that have part of their business in another country, whether it's ours or some other country's business, those are targeted for information too. Look at what I call the cell phone wars with stuff that's going on in Huawei. China has people collecting on iPhone, Samsung, and everybody else so they can get the Huawei company more involved in the business, make more money, as well as any other type of information they're putting on those phones that might be nefarious. We're doing the same thing. We also do it with automobiles. Any industry you can think of, there's somebody collecting intelligence on it. Why are they doing this? Because it affects our economy. It affects jobs. It affects policies and trade, ongoing organizations and deals. It affects things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the new NAFTA deal. It affects oil trade, textiles, everything like that, and so much more. Now, this isn't something that should scare you. It's just the reality of the situation. And if you're wondering how would they know how to do that, it's because there's already a list of information that is targeted. Every country has it. We call it requirements. Requirements means information decision makers require in order to make decisions. Every intelligence agency has them. Every cabinet department has them. Every part of the military has them. Most members of the military have heard of PIRs, Priority Intelligence Requirement. PIRs are developed in the military from the company level all the way up to the core level. They often mimic each other in some way or break down a little bit more. They're also very similar to the larger requirements called HCRs, which are Human Collection Requirements, meaning Human Intelligence. Now, while there are many other types, and some are what they call emergency ones with a special name, we'll just focus on HCRs. It covers everything you can possibly think of. And what they do is they title it. So let's say weapons of mass destruction. That's a common HCR, and underneath it, it'll have subcategories. Like Seaburn used to be NBC, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear. Underneath each one of those, let's say biological, it'll have usually 10 to 20 items which are written like questions that may even have sub-questions under them. And if you think about bioweapons or bioterrorism, biological agents, the types of questions they could ask has everything in the medical community and how it's developed, the science behind it, where it's stored, who's going to use it, where they are in their testing phases. There's so much information there that they want to collect. And while written as questions, they are guidance and ideas for more questions. And the collector, based on their training, knows 
the types of questions they need to ask following certain formats they're trained at in their organization. As an example, when I train interrogators for the Department of Defense, I give them five areas, five specific questions to ask me about to interrogate me. I use this as training to understand how to use HCRs as well as logical follow-up and ways to plan their interrogation. They learn very quickly. It takes a lot of time and effort to put in these questions. It very quickly can turn into 1,000 questions, meaning several thousand, and that it barely scratches the surface. Example is I give them five subjects. Doesn't matter what the subjects are, but typically it has to do with family, military experience, current job, education, things like that. I say, okay, you got these five areas. Now, under each of those five areas, I want 10 logical categories that you could chase down to get information on, which they usually don't have a hard time coming up with. That's 50 right there. And I consider those subcategories to focus on. Then I tell them in each one of those subcategories, I want 10 logical questions. 10 times 50 is 500. Under each one of those logical questions, I want 5 to 10 logical follow-up questions. At least 5. That puts you up where around 2,500. And then when they see that and they realize, yeah, 2,500 questions is daunting, but when they really look at it, they're like, man, we've barely scratched the surface. There's so many more obvious logical follow-up questions we can plan for. And this is an example of how these HCRs, which seems like short lists, become these expansive, exhausted questions. Collectors, regardless of their human intelligence, counterintelligence, or anywhere else, have access to this information through their programs or through their organizations, military intelligence agencies, and they can research them at every time. And they're great backup plans. While they're used in ongoing operations, they're also backup plans. While somebody might have an operation over here to focus on internet in a new country or nuclear weapons development, they might get somebody comes in to give them credible information on something to do with, example, again, coronavirus. If they don't have current familiarity on that subject matter or that field, they go and reference that information, all current reporting, talk to other people, plan out what they're going to do, and then they either go interrogate if it's a detainee or go collect from their asset. So looking at my examples and this exhaustive list of subjects, if I was to tell you there was hundreds of thousands of possible categories and subcategories and obvious questions that you would follow up on and dig in deeper for subjects, I'd be selling it short about how much is out there people want. Now, what I encourage you to do is also go to Google. When you go there, type in spies, spies in the U.S., spies in the news, espionage, anything like that, and then hit that subcategory news, and you're going to see not only a lot of recent information in America and other countries, but you can actually go back and track the increase to about 18 months ago, although a lot of this goes back 12 to 15 years when mistakes started getting made. One example is a former FBI agent named Robert Levinson, who you can find. Ended up working for the CIA and got caught in Tehran. This happened in 2007, and it took some time before he admitted, or we admitted, somebody admitted he was the spy they were accusing him of. And President Obama even went after trying to get him back as late as 2015. But he dropped off the map and the radar, and then along with several other people, he was hung and killed in 2016. So do understand, if you get caught, this is not a friendly business, especially if you're from America or a Western country. Another example that went public were members of the Indian Navy passing classified information off to the nation of Pakistan, which if you're unfamiliar with the relationship of India and Pakistan, I wouldn't say it's the same, but to get you in the ballpark, it's kind of like how Israel and the rest of the Middle East feel about each other. 
It's definitely not a pretty situation. How did they get caught? They were using social media. Another one that happened in the last few months, a guy who's a Mexican national got caught spying for Russia, spying on the U.S. How did he get caught? He went kind of off the rails and being stupid, in my opinion. His mission was to get the license plate number of one or more members of the government working for certain departments. In an attempt to follow the vehicle, the vehicle he was following goes into a garage that has security. He rams through it or cuts in without stopping at the security checkpoint and makes his wife get out and go take a photo of that license plate. Not only was that extremely stupid and careless, there's a security there as a witness, as well as the person being followed, and very likely security cameras. That's an example of bad training or not controlling your asset from going off the rails and doing too much on their own. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad he got caught. I'm just saying from the point of view of a handler working with an asset, that was the handler's fault. You'll find multiple articles about China in the U.S., specifically universities. Some focused on Texas A&M, a lot focused on Harvard and other Ivy League schools. But there are a lot more than that. Now, while the media and some members of Congress take positions on this, calling it economic espionage or the types of information they're after, the fact is they got caught and they used to never get caught. Or at least not caught bad enough that it made the media. Now, the way that most countries work at it and most court systems that deal with espionage will look at it, anybody that's spying is a spy. And while that is true in the legal sense, we're going to look at spies as two different types of spies. One type of spy is that professional who's trained by an organization, typically a military intelligence service or a federal intelligence service, to go out, spy, interrogate, recruit assets, have all the tradecraft and training behind them, and probably other experience in the military or related fields. The other type of spy is the person the first spy recruits and puts on the payroll and gets them to go commit espionage against their country or organization. They're still a spy, but they don't have the training and experience. They might get some from their handler on a specific mission or piece of equipment, but not near the extensive background that handler has. So if we look at this guy from Mexico and these Navy sailors in India, they were people recruited by a handler to spy for them. Whereas Levinson, who was caught in Tehran, was a trained agent through the CIA. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people get caught looking at the guy in Mexico he made a series of bad decisions, thankfully for us, but his bad decisions led to him being caught. We don't know what happened with Levinson, but we shouldn't always just think that somebody screwed up, although they probably had some involvement in it. There are talented and skilled spy agents out there in many countries, far beyond what you would really think. It's all too common for us to dismiss a nation's capability overall or in a specific field because of our bias towards them and how we feel about them. The fact of the matter is, is there's many great and talented spy agencies in the world that are very skilled at what they do. It goes far beyond the GRU or FSB in Russia or Mossad or the Syrat Maktal or Shin Bet out of Israel or our own tier one military units, the CIA, DIA or clandestine covert operators from other agencies. There are skilled and trained spies in most European allied nations as well as some Middle Eastern countries like Iran Definitely China, they're one of the best in the world, if not the best at certain ways they do operations. Most world powers 
have training programs that develop skilled agents, as well as some small random nations like Guatemala. First thing is don't be dismissive of these nations and their abilities. A country's politics, economic success or failure, or military capability has no association whatsoever to their ability to commit espionage. I'll give you an example. There is a small, tiny, insignificant country in a part of the world that you'd almost have to go through the entire list of countries to guess which one it is, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. One of the classes I took at the CIA had really to do with failures throughout history that we had committed and what we've done to correct them and ways to help you be a better collector. I want to caveat that by saying I didn't work for the CIA. I have worked with them and I have taken some training there. I worked for another organization. Well, a couple other organizations. One military, one not military. Now, the crazy part is I'm going to tell you as close as I can recall to verbatim what we were told. And it was very short and simple. But this tiny little country, at some point, now, when I went through this class, it was some years ago, but it was in this century, I'll tell you that. And at the time... What we were told is there's probably less than a dozen people still alive that know about this, which doesn't really date it necessarily, and there's not much more than that that would have access to this information. The situation was this country got something from our country, and this story is still used in training today. The people that tell the story and provide the training don't even know themselves. Is it digital information? Is it a physical object? Is it something that was classified, something that was a piece of equipment, technology, blueprints, paperwork, digital information, something physical, something intangible? Nobody knows. What is known is that this country got that information and sat on it for a while and waited to see if we would figure it out, and we didn't. And after a more than reasonable time, they let us know that they have it. Now, the interesting thing was, number one, this country's abilities were not even on the radar and it had a big impact and change in how we viewed all nations on the world when it came to counterintelligence and espionage. The other thing is what they have, they cannot use. They still have it. They haven't gotten rid of it. They can't sell it or move it and they can't use it. They won't give it back. We can't get it from them. And that's pretty much the whole story. And it's crazy how things like that happen. Now, I'm not sure why we can't get it back, although I have some general ideas because I know who it is. But what matters is the effect that it had on our intelligence apparatus. The point is, no matter what you try to focus on and what priorities you have in the world of intelligence, you can't cover everything because there's not enough manpower. And there's too many adversaries out there or even allies spying on each other. So what does all this mean for what's going on in the news? Well, most of it's happening at colleges in this country. And why? Well, some of this to me is fairly obvious and makes a lot of sense. That age category and people in colleges is a prime recruiting ground and where most of the applications come through central intelligence as well as other intelligence organizations. It's because you can find people with unique skills and abilities, unique training in areas that are needed. This is true in most major fields. Just look up the webpage for any intelligence agency or federal law enforcement agency to see what they're interested in and then just think about my questioning plan at the beginning. It goes way beyond that. This is also the age where people are growing up. They want their own careers. They want to make a difference. Same age range targeted for military recruitment. People are more patriotic. They want to make a difference. 
They want to do their own thing and they want to take the training or education they have and put it to good use. This is the time that regardless of how you grew up and what your beliefs were and what your politics were, some things change for us in the very late teens into early 20s, typically mid-20s when it comes to intelligence recruiting. This is when we start making big life choices. People start looking at those major purchases, investing in the future, relationships. They want to travel. They want to do things. They want to change the world. So am I suggesting that China might be primarily in some institutions or as an additional benefit in others trying to recruit people in those schools to spy for them. Yes, absolutely they are. That is a known piece of information, and it's happened for decades, especially with China. There are more now, actually, but there was a very specific school even back in the 80s in California that was watched heavily by intelligence agencies due to China's involvement there. And what took note was how many Chinese nationals were accepted in that school. And then some connections were made over certain espionage activities coming from China. Turned out that they were sending agents here or people that were assets for agents in order to get them to spy. And I want to point this out. Think about any law that somebody breaks and they didn't know. Like you get pulled over for speeding And I just didn't know that a road like this without a sign in this state would be this speed as an example. You can still get a ticket for it. A lot of people that commit espionage have no idea what they're doing and that they're breaking a law. Some of them are forced into it. I mention this because for the last few days on the Gray Man Concepts Facebook page, I've been putting up articles and videos on spying around the world. Look for the video about the Chinese guy that's in Australia. It took a while before he realized that he was actually committing espionage. He didn't know what he was doing was illegal or wrong. He actually thought it was a good thing. And if you're thinking, well, this guy's probably lying because he's Chinese. No, absolutely not. Not only do I know for sure he's not lying, it's very, very common for people to do things because they believe it's the right thing to do or that it's patriotic. If you're wondering how somebody can think that's patriotic, they're doing something for their country and they believe in their country, regardless if we agree with the ideology, religion, politics, or whatever's happening in that nation. That's where people grew up. That's what they believe. Just like growing up at home, we tend to have certain beliefs, whether it's taught to us by our families or not. And again, as we grow up and get in that age of late teens, early 20s, we start coming into our own, developing our own ideas and wanting to make a difference. That's what happened to this guy. I've seen this happen firsthand, not only in this country, but with people of terrorist organization, both Shuni and Shia, as well as insurgent groups and terrorist organizations. A lot of them are doing it because they believe it's the right thing to do based on an ideology they grew up with and believe heavily in. Now, why is this important? Well, let's look at how we target these individuals. Okay, so let's skip the first spy guy who's trained and let's look at the other spy guy, the one that the trained handler is going to recruit and get them to spy. There's two kind of things that they look for primarily right off the bat. Those are called placement and access. Do they have appropriate placement, the intelligence that I want, and do they have access to that information? When I train soldiers, I give them a common example of a college because of how much activity by China and other nations happen in this country, recruiting in college and conducting other forms of espionage. I say, okay, There's a college, it's a university, doesn't matter which one. There is a specific department, doesn't matter which one, that has a specific professor that has information he is creating development we want and we know it's in his office. Who are you going to get 
has placement and access to go in there. And people go through the gamut. One's the professor, probably the worst one. Unless he's been profiled to believe that he will turn that information over because of his education and age, he's probably going to realize very quickly what's happening. So you'd have to find something to use against them, which while that does happen, takes a lot of effort to find that stuff and figure out, will it even work? Some say a teacher's assistant. Well, that's possible too, but people at age talk. How many TAs are they? When do they have access to that information? And what are TAs trying to do? They're trying to impress those professors to get whatever reward from them, whether it's in another program, a good grade, whatever they're trying to do. So using this as a general example and all things being equal, everybody tends to miss what a lot of people in the Intel business consider one of the most obvious, and that's the janitor. The janitor has not only appropriate placement because he has keys and has to go in and and clean things. He has access because of his keys and his placement typically is going to put him there after hours when there's far less people on that facility and in that building. And that's an ideal person. The other thing that comes number three is what's the motivation of this asset? Meaning, why would they help us or how can we get them to help us? Who's creating the motivation? Taking somebody that's a custodian in this country based on cost of living, they're a blue-collar worker, the type of pay they might be getting, their age, is there anybody that has medical issues that need payment in their family? Do they have bills that need paid? Do they feel underappreciated? How can I make them feel appreciated? And yes, this always starts out with money because money is always the first pitch because there tends to be a lot of reasons to make money work. Like this guy, again, from Mexico who tried to spy on a member of the government. Remember I said he made his wife get out of the car and take the photo? His motivation was he had a secret wife and family in Russia he wanted brought over here. Now, I don't know how he was going to deal with that once they got here, but that's what was promised to him. And not only promised, they could probably make it happen. So what are these spies looking for inside these universities? Well, the motivation's easy. It's pretty much all the things I mentioned for people in that category, but there are other people in university and that's older professors. One thing you'll find if you do look up these articles is a guy named James Olson in Texas A&M. After leaving the Navy, he worked his way up the corporate ladder to chief of counterintelligence at Langley in the CIA before becoming a professor and teaching classes on counterintelligence at Texas A&M. Makes you wonder, are people at Texas A&M trying to get information from him because he retired from the agency and worked in counterintelligence? Or is he placed there and possibly dual-hatted still working for the agency, conducting counterintelligence operations, looking for these spies? Or perhaps he did actually leave, but once there, he identified and reported it or was approached to see if he would actually conduct low-level operations to identify anybody that was spying or recruiting in Texas A&M. I will tell you, Those are all very viable and very realistic, and they're probably close to all true. Close because we don't know if he was placed there or approached later, but I am sure he was somewhat involved in seeing that information, due not only to his prior knowledge and experience, but his skills and training. Another thing that's possible is a prodigy of a student in his classes Conducting their own operations are not supposed to be in identifying this stuff. That is possible. What is more likely is that he has students that are placed there that are either from foreign nations or recruited by foreign nations to spy on him and his training. Why? Because he's going to bring his years and experience from the CIA there to other students 
and whether or not it's current or relevant, it will fill intel gaps and create possible scenarios and answer questions, questions being requirements, for China. If you're wondering why do we let this happen, we don't let it happen. You're talking about true professional gray men. Even if they're recruited, other nations train their handlers at different levels than we do. Some of them train them for years and decades, even though they're not official agents. Some don't train them at all. But there's a lot of them. And we have a lot of other things we look for in a lot of other nations. One of the questions I ask, is this on the rise? Well, you'll find information out there that says there's an espionage war going on. Well, that is arguably true, but it's been going on for a long time. As I said, this is nothing new, especially with China and our college has been going on for decades. The question is, why did it make the news? How did it get out? There are a lot of possible theories, and some of them might have some low-level truth. But I can tell you the way our government works when it comes to releasing this kind of information and success and failure or even classified information, which has even happened on CNN a few years ago. It's simply because whether somebody's making mistakes, we're making mistakes, we allow this information to get reported to send the message that we know what's going on and we're letting it go public. And that has a big impact because one of the things it tells other nations, whether or not there are allies or friends, is that China is out there actively recruiting in colleges because I am sure they're recruiting in other countries as well. It tells them what kind of information they're collecting on. Even though we have classified information, classified information's at different levels, and those levels have caveats, and I'm not talking about special programs. I'm talking about countries we'll release information to. And these countries in a situation like this will reach out to us. A good example would be Australia and Canada, where, again, I mentioned the guy earlier from China. In Australia, spying, they're going to want to know, what do you guys know? And we will share that information and work with them and share intelligence in order to stop this threat and come up with viable plans to get it to change and try to use it against them, whether it's public or not. Some situations will stop the operation. Sometimes we'll actually let things go on so we can observe them and gain intelligence from them on how they're doing anything. Why are they doing it this way? What are they after? Why would that be important for them? Are they after something we're not thinking about? That's the kind of game that is played in the spy world. If you're wondering if that's true, here's another example from that class I took, and it involves China. Whether or not they're trained agents, one of the things China is good at, in fact, better than anybody on the planet, is lifelong operation. Meaning the trained or untrained collector or spy is going to conduct an operation for the entirety of their life until they're caught or killed, or they just die of oil. This is how good they are. Use an example from some time ago in the last century. Remember I mentioned for some time they've been sending people of Chinese descent or Chinese nationality to specific universities in California. At the time, one very specific university. This is how good they are. A female agent from China had a target, a male American student, that was profiled by China. Now, this individual did not come from a military family, to my knowledge. Definitely didn't come from the intel background, the intel world had skills and knowledge and things in the future that would be of interest to the ongoing developments over the decades of China. And they were profiled as somebody that would very likely end up working for an intelligence agency. This female then befriended this individual. They began to date. They fell in love and got married. And somewhere around the time they got married, whether before or after, is when he started looking at career fields and eventually got picked up by an intelligence agency. Now, in this specific agency, like, well, most of the big agencies, 
They do background checks on the family. There's a lot of stuff involved in the training. That's all covered in depth, a lot of interviews, things beyond your typical polygraph that most people aren't familiar with, as well as regular checks, checks on them. They still travel to visit a family in China. That's all reviewed. And this goes on for years and years and years, actual decades. During this time, the male of the subject worked his way up to a fairly high position within this agency, not at the top, but definitely powerful. It was during this time, many decades after this began, that China came out with a new piece of technology, a new piece of equipment they had developed. What was shocking about it is in the intel world, it was something we thought might be happening only about a week or two before it came out as public, and it was huge. Like, how could nobody see this coming? How could nobody see this being created? How did they hide this? What is happening? Through that exhaustive, in-depth investigation, especially of people that had connections to Chinese nationals, they discovered a couple of things. The first was this female in question had made a couple of mistakes that went unnoticed. Mistakes that typically wouldn't have been looked for that are now. It was found out through the investigation and the mistakes tied into this very specific event and what had happened. Additionally, somebody like this who works for an intelligence organization when they travel abroad, even to see family members when they marry a foreign national, do have information they collect, whether it's inherent in nature or they're just debriefed when they return home. When this event became public, it immediately debunked or falsified quite a bit of information this individual as well as others collected over the years and through the following years, debunked most of the rest of it as garbage. Now, before those years of investigation were up, one of the things they did do was, of course, arrest this woman and deal with her. I think there was some prison uh, followed by deportation. But this individual, the guy, he was cleared. He was found not to have been at fault whatsoever. And although he was allowed to keep his job and posting, he chose to leave that agency at that time, which was probably the best thing he could have done. I think it's the right thing to do. Mostly because he would have always been under scrutiny. He would have lost trust and he would have been looking over his shoulder the rest of his career. The point of this is her intelligence operation was disinformation, which it's more colorful if you get more information on this, but you can't have that. But it was disinformation. She ran a disinformation campaign on a guy they profiled based on intelligence and historical data that the Chinese had already collected. This guy was probably going to work in the world of intelligence. And it really changed the game and opened up eyes of what the Chinese were capable of doing. Now, there's other big stories just as crazy as this from other countries. Just like I mentioned, that little country out of nowhere, it's something similar, I'm sure, probably crazier. And there's other stories from other nations that are very similar. And I'm sure these other countries have stories of their own. You'll probably also, if you search long enough, find some stories about some Chinese nationals that were killed in China. I'm sure the article's accurate based on how this happened. These individuals were assets for us, the Americans. They got found out whether we screwed up or they screwed up, but we still have some culpability in it no matter what. And they were executed for treason or espionage. The point is, it's an ugly game. It's a big game. It's larger and more detailed with more information out there than most people could ever possibly realize. And most people in the business only have an idea of. So the most likely result is we allow this information to be in the news because it has been increasing in frequency. However, success has been decreasing because they've been caught. And there are existing metrics, 
to prove that as well as counterintelligence operation and our own human intelligence operation collecting against China to not only figure out what they have we want, but some of those operations are about what are they trying to get from us? But are we perfect? No, we make mistakes. We definitely do, not just our agents, but also our policymakers and other countries make mistakes too. Places like colleges and universities are breeding ground for not only people to become trained intelligence professionals, for us or for other nations that come here. That's why they're in the colleges. And when you get them from a college in another nation, it's a double win. Really, it's a triple win. One, you get somebody an expert in a field. Let's say it's economics. You want that anyway you have in your own country. But now that person is a card-carrying member of a foreign nation in that country. That's win number two. Win number three is you turn them into a spy for you. And you get to gain not only the training they went through to understand how does that nation train that subject, but anything they do in the future, how training change, and anything they develop or discover in the process no matter where they work. Which is why we collect on so many big industries outside defense and government classified information and all the big industries like medical, economics, even travel, anything like that. And it's a benefit to these nations to get that intel. Unfortunately, there's no magic bullet or magic method to stop this. Even in the world of growing surveillance and technology, every nation has it to some degree. And while overall, many of our technologies are better than other nations when it comes to the military, some of our other technologies are the same or parts of them come from those countries and people develop things at different rates and different speeds. Everybody has different training. It's too big of an industry, too many people to really stop it all the time. So that's your answer to the big mystery. If you thought it was a mystery at all, it's really not a mystery. How do I know this to be true? I worked in that field. I've seen the data. I've worked the information. I've done the operations and missions. This isn't just something that is conspiracy or I say makes sense. This is actually what's going on. This is how those things happen, why they work that way, why people are after information. So if you liked this show, go ahead and hit that like or share button. You can even support us monetarily on Anchor FM where you might be listening to this or through whichever platform that you are listening to this podcast on. If you have further questions or ideas for shows or things you want me to talk about, look down in the show notes where you can send me an email and send me a message and I will get back to you or turn it into a podcast or show or perhaps an article discussing that situation and information. Thank you for listening to the show and I look forward to telling you more stories and giving you more gray man training and trade craft training in the future.